I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and just give them a high five. We haven't done that in a long time. If you're by yourself, just kind of high five yourself. It'll be all right. Or if you want to get up and move over to somebody and let them high five you, that'd be good. If you're on the front row with teenagers up here, it could be deadly if they give them a high five. They usually go past the hand onto the side of your head, but that's all right. Amen. We've been discussing in our series in January uh, leadership. Started out with uh, Timothy's life and how Paul uh, described him being a proven leader. Uh, then we went into where it all came from. How did it all start? We started in the book of Acts and the church as it began in its infancy and what uh, was the need and when the need arose and where those leaders came from. And then last week I talked about the qualities and characteristics that elders and deacons and the wives of those men should possess. <clears throat> and those were all characteristics and qualifications that each of us should possess <clears throat> as well. So uh, bearing that in mind, today I want to give you uh, a glimpse into God's game plan. What is God's plan for the church through the leaders that he has given to, to our church and to each church? What's the plan? And so I, what I want to do is I want to, I want to go through the book of Acts again. And I want to give you several scriptural references and uh, show you where an elder is mentioned and the leadership role that that elder played historically and so forth. And then we'll close in Ephesians uh, with the game plan that God has laid out because he has done it and it's really real and uh, we want you to be able to see it. We'll pick up our first uh, glimpse at this in Acts chapter 11 and verse 30. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts, <clears throat> and then we'll be in Ephesians. Thank you, son. <clears throat> oh, and I got I to gotta do one thing. I got to brag just a little bit. I have not in 10 years <clears throat> or more been able to take this jacket and do this right here. <laughs> but I do today. So I just had to brag about that. Now I'll stand up a little while until my knee gives out and then I'll sit down again. But Acts 11.30, so you keep praying for me that somehow I'll get all this weight off because I was reading this past week where the death panels are going to kick in about mid-year. Mid so uh, there's, there was one incident, I'm serious, there was one incident of a man, 470 pounds, and they're, they're talking about removing any medical care from him because he's showing no signs that he's going to make any changes in his life. Now, I don't know about you, but that ain't the kind of country I want to live in. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, God said it was coming. I don't know why we're surprised. So could the imminent return of Jesus be soon? I'm praying it is. Wouldn't that be fun? I don't have to worry about what I eat then. <laughs> Glory. Glory. Acts 11.30. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul. To whom? The elders. It's important. First time 
in the New Testament, the church is beginning, first time they are mentioned. First time elders are mentioned in the Lord's church. The date is 44 A.D., 15 years after Pentecost. 15 years after the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 came to know Jesus as their Savior. 15 years. In the first 15 years of the church's existence, there's no mention, no mention ever made of elders. There's also nothing said in this passage or any other as, as how long these men, these individuals, had been serving as elders in this particular location. They may have been there for several years. They may have been recently ordained to that position. There is a possibility that these elders were not located only in Jerusalem, but perhaps in congregations throughout Judea. But in context of our passage in 1130, the disciples in Antioch had been informed by, prophets, by the prophets of God that there was a great famine that was going to come upon the area. And we find that in Acts 11, 27 and 28. And so they determined then in verse 29, they determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in verse 30, as we just read, in, in charge uh, of Barnabas and Saul to these elders, to these elders. And since elders are the shepherds of the flock, it's only natural that this aid would be designed to assist those folks that are under their care. And it clearly depicts, this passage clearly shows that an awareness on the part of the disciples that the elders were the caretakers of the flock of God, that the elders are supposed to do. That's why some men don't want to serve in that capacity. It needs to be a, a position where men desire to, to do this. But a lot of them don't want to do it because the, the very charge of those folks, the souls of those people, if you study in Hebrews, you'll find that it's on the shoulders of those elders. And so it's a, it's a grave responsibility, nothing to be taken lightly. But exactly what the elders did with, that, with those contributions, and so probably was a combination of food and money, uh, it's not really clearly said here. But if you go back to Acts 6, where they established the deacons to serve those Grecian widows who were being neglected, then it's safe to assume that these elders then would have given those resources for that to be distributed to those in need. And so you see the leadership role that the elders played. Now let's go to Acts 14 and verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having done two things, what is it? Prayed with fasting. Now, not prayer and fasting. Prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, to find elders, they would pray with, along with the prayer, was fasting. So it was a time when they specifically set aside to select these men. Paul's first, first missionary journey was nearing completion in this verse. And before returning to uh, Syrian Antioch, uh, that's the congregation that had sent uh, he and Barnabas out, uh, they were uh, then going to go through several cities uh, encouraging. And in Acts 14, 22, verse 22, it says they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith. And in three of the eight cities that they evangelized, uh, they were able to appoint elders. Those three cities are, Ly are Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. 
Uh, and some have assumed from the wording of verse 23 that elders were appointed in every city that they evangelized. But if you do a careful study of verses 21 through 23 and the context that surrounds it, uh, you might see it a little bit differently. It seems not every congregation was growing at the same rate spiritually. So some were not ready to appoint elders, and yet some were. So it's also worthy of note that elders were appointed in these three cities with prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are really important keys. If you need to make a major decision in your life, and some of you are trying to make those decisions, then I'm going to encourage you to practice this. Set aside a week, a three days, whatever it is, you set it aside with the intent to pray with fasting. Now, fasting means you're going to give up something. You may give up, uh, in most instances, it's food. You're going to give up a meal or a multiple amount of meals while you're praying about a certain thing. Now, what happens is, is when you are praying and you're skipping, say, that meal, and your, your stomach begins to grumble, or you're feeling not, uh, you know, you're feeling tired or whatever, those are all key pieces that cause you to go back to pray. Because what happens is you're putting your whole reliance on the Spirit of God and on the power of God to respond to the prayer that you're praying. Because it's a focused prayer. If you're sitting at the buffet table, it's not, <laughs> you know, God sometimes can't get through to you. So sometimes you need to pull away from the normal and skip it while you're praying so that an answer can come. And it's amazing how God works with that. And here's an example of how it worked for, for the church. All right? But uh, again, some of these churches were not ready for uh, uh, elders. Some were. But it clearly emphasizes that there is a need in congregations to have recognize spiritual leadership if there are men qualified to serve in, the, in that capacity if you look at Titus 1 6 there would be a, a good parallel verse for you and Paul did not appoint men to serve as elders in every city appointing the best that he could find simply to, so that a congregation say it had elders or to be scriptural I mean sometimes we'll just put people in a position because well we just got to have them do you do you really you see what I'm saying it's not always the case. You need to have men that are, are scripturally prepared, men that are ready to, to serve in that role. But he appointed elders in those cities uh, that I mentioned, and uh, he, did, he, he did not appoint elders in those that were not yet spiritually ready, and there should be a good lesson for us in that response. Now, our next group of scriptures is in Acts 15, beginning at verse 2, and then it, uh, there's one verse in chapter 16, uh, verse 4. Let's look at them. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, and that's very important, to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, uh, Judas called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. 
Here's our last verse. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. These passages all deal with elders who were in Jerusalem. And with their handling of the issues raised in this Jerusalem conference of around 50 A.D., you can study history and see it there, these verses reveal the nature of the work and the responsibilities of elders, and I want you to, and let's not overlook them, and I want you to see a few of them. Number one, they were men to whom the brothers in Antioch of Syria felt they could confidently appeal for help in assisting them to settle a great debate which had arisen among them. <coughs> Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, they were also men who did not always see things alike. <laughs> Those of you that are married, let me see your hands. Those of you that were, were married, and for whatever reason you weren't, let me see your hands, everybody's hands, okay? Now, in those relationships, did your wife and you see everything the same way all the time about everything? Well, sure they did, as long as they did it the way you thought it was supposed to be done. And a wise man who's lived a long time says, yes, dear, whatever you want. Amen. Right? Or you can stand tooth and toenail and go at it, can't you? Boy, by golly, I'm not going to give in. By golly, I'm not going to give in, you know. Right? And we fight, fight, fight until we get the last word. Well, these were men who didn't always see things alike. But what was beautiful about this, and of course they had much debate. If you look at verses 6 and 7, they had much debate. And then in verse 25, what's exciting is they all had one mind. They were still unified. And unity is more important than being right. You see, I, I, my wife makes uh, some decisions. I don't necessarily agree, so we'll discuss it. We'll talk about it. And what's fun is that we come around and we figure it out together. That's the way it should be. You see, you've got to have both people working this thing. Or you can live in a dictatorship. And the dictator can tell you how it's going to be. And so, you men, you sleep on the couch whenever she tells you to. No, I'm just <laughs> And you know, you know there's a time in culture when women weren't allowed to do certain things, right? Men told you what to do, and you did it. <coughs> Whether you liked it or not. Because the men were the most important, right? <coughs> well, I know you're not saying that now, but there was a time when that's the way it was. Those of you that are older, is that, is that true? If you think being a Muslim is a great thing, and you're a woman, <laughs> can you spell the word D-O-G? <laughs> that will be you. Number three. They were not men who viewed themselves as overlords of the church. So one of the greatest temptations that Satan places in our lives when we become a leader is that we think we have a position of authority. What authority? <coughs> Jesus said, God has given who authority over all the earth in the heaven? Who did Jesus say had that authority? Tell me. Come on. Jesus has that authority. God gave Jesus all authority over heaven and earth. He did not say all heaven and earth has authority under the 
leadership and arm of the elders of the church. Doesn't have, doesn't say. It doesn't say. So these men didn't consider themselves to be overlords and where they could meet secluded and formulate laws to impose upon people. Now they ran into that problem, didn't they? The apostles ran into that problem. People who had converted from, Christ, from Judaism to Christianity then went back and grabbed the law and said, oh, by the way, if you're going to be a Christian Gentile, then you've got to do all the things that the Jews did too to become, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> That's why Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians. He said, you're free from that. You're free from it. Now, the fourth thing is they were men who, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, verse 28, made decisions which, when heeded, would be in the best interest of the people of God that they had charge over. It's really important to see that in verse 28, that they were under the direction of God's Spirit. These are men that had to seek the Spirit of God. If you're not seeking God's Spirit, you're in trouble. Men, in your homes, if you're not seeking God's Spirit, then you're going to make wrong decisions. Ladies, if you're not seeking God's spirit and you're not working in tandem with your husband or if you're single now, you need to truly, truly come to the throne of grace with God and ask for his wisdom. Ask him to help you. Lean on him for those answers. He'll bring them. He'll bring them. Number five, these elders were men who clearly involved the members of the congregation in deliberations and decisions. They didn't meet in secret. That's why last year we developed the Leadership Council open to anybody that wants to come to the, into those meetings to sit and visit and talk and listen. Get, get your ideas. We've got some great ideas out of those meetings. We've seen some great things happen here at the church because of those meetings. Better clarity on things. It's awesome. It's awesome. What do you have to hide? You see, we have nothing to hide. I had a guy tell me one time, the larger the ministry, the less transparency of that ministry. You know what? He's right on target. If you go ask the senior pastor of the church that runs 4,000, 5,000 people what the salary level is of everybody, you won't get it. I know of a church right now in Tulsa that if you wanted to call the pastor and sit down in the pastor's office and talk to the pastor of the church, the church runs several thousand people, there will be 10 layers of people that you'll have to go through to get a, a, a meeting with that pastor. I'm here, just come on by. <laughs> We'll get some coffee and figure it out. And I, I love it when people come by and they'll say, well, I don't mean to interrupt you. Well, here's what I've learned. God sent you for a reason. So whatever I'm doing can wait. Because I don't know why you're here, but God does. Amen? That's fun. It's fun. I never know. Especially if you say, let's go get some butter brickle. <laughs> you know, I, I figure that's the call of God. We need to go. No. <laughs> Satan leading me astray. Get out of here, you, you tool of the Satan. No, I'm teasing. I have, I've yet to have anybody come in my office and say, hey, let's go get butter brickle. No, not one. <laughs> I've had many of you come by and say, no, you can't have that. Okay, I got it. But what I want you to see is that these men from these passages in, in Acts 15 were men who sought counsel from the church. I think that's awesome. Now let's go to Acts 20. Acts 20. Acts 20. I'm talking to my computer. There he is. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Did we get 17 in there, Jeff? Verse 17? She did not get that in there? Well, I'm going to have to work her over. Again, these computers... 
Verse 17 says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And then our verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and the flock. And it's really important because this is the year 58 A.D. Miletus was a port city 36 miles south of Ephesus. Paul was returning to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey. And when he arrived at Miletus, he called the elders of Ephesus to come meet with him one last time. Uh, he had just completed three years of ministry at Ephesus, and he was convinced that uh, this might well be his last opportunity, uh, or he had recently completed that ministry there, and it was probably his last opportunity to see these guys that he had worked so closely with. And so a very moving farewell in verses uh, 36 through 38. But uh, in his farewell address, he gives great insight into the ministry of elders. Let me, let me share a few of those with you. First of all, these were men who were personally to be personally alert and vigilant. In verse 28, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock. And in verse 31, Therefore be on the alert. Paul warns these leaders that the flock is often threatened from outside in verse 29 and from inside in verse 30. It's even possible that in verse 30, from among your own selves men will arise, has a reference to spiritual leadership who's gone astray. In other words, they're gathering the flock rather around the cross of Christ, but around themselves. And we have to be very careful about men who will gather people around themselves because they want to hear themselves talk and teach. You have to be very careful of those kind of folks because they can divide the church just like that. Just like that. Okay? Elders are to be guardians in verse 31. 28, they're to be on, be on guard for themselves. Secondly, in verse 30, I, I just really believe that we have to be careful about leaders who speak and teach because they, they can be influential and they can draw the flock away just to themselves, to their feet and not to the foot of the cross. If we're not drawn to the foot of the cross, then why are we in church? If you're drawn to the feet of the preacher, you're in trouble because the preachers will fall. Preachers will let you down. Amen? You know why I preach on the floors, because I fell off that stage a few years ago. Some of you stayed awake for the rest of the service, first time in a long time. And the next Sunday, my children come up to the front and bring air mattresses just to get ahead. They're ready to go. Remember it just like it was yesterday. But you know what? I don't want you to come because of me. I don't want you to come because it's uh, to, to sit at my feet. I want you to come to sit at his feet. He is the one that says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them in unto me. And if I don't lift up Jesus, I'm in trouble. I have a greater judge. I'll be judged greater than you will, according to James chapter 3. So I'm going to lift up Jesus, and then you, you follow him. But I need to lead you to him. You see what I'm saying? By my example. Don't come sit at my feet. And my feet, you know, they don't smell good anyway. But elders must carefully examine their own teaching, individually and collectively, and their motivations for teaching. Uh, Doy Doak, one of my favorite people in, in all my life, had a great influence in my life. He used to sit right up here on the second row where these teenagers are. And if I said something that was a little askew, I knew that it was a little askew because he would be sitting there just like this. Every, every Sunday he'd cross his arms like this. And if I said something funny, he would go. I mean, it's like instinctive. His head would cock down like that, and he'd look at me. And I thought, just out of the corner of my eye, I could see him. And I'd go, uh-oh, what did I say? But later, I would get an invitation to go where? Biscuits and gravy. He was a very wise man because he, he knew that if he could get biscuits and gravy on the table, I could listen to anything. 
I did, he taught a lot of great lessons to me around a plate full of biscuits and gravy. And so you know what? Don't get so full of yourself that you think you've got it all together. Because there's still room to grow. There's still room to grow. Third thing, these are men who the Holy Spirit, according to verse 28, the Holy Spirit had made overseers among the flock. The word translated made is uh, uh, tithomai, which means to set in place, to make, to produce, or create, to ordain, or appoint. The Holy Spirit made these men overseers. The work of the Holy Spirit of God in producing, making, and creating qualified elders should not be overlooked. If these men are not walking with the Spirit of God in their life, don't put them in that position. Do not put them in a position of leadership. They are not ready. Number four, these men were our overseers. Number five, they're to shepherd the flock of God according to the latter part of verse 28. And the word there is poimeo, which is the verb form of poimain. And it means to shepherd. To, and it's used as a reference to a leader of the church only in Ephesians 4.11 that we're going to see in just a little bit. The verb means to shepherd, to perform the duties of a shepherd, to feed, pasture, tend, direct, and care for a flock. And the verb is used of spiritual leaders only here and in 1 Peter 5.2. Shepherding does involve feeding the flock. It also involves a great deal more. And one must not get mistaken that teaching or feeding the flock is the only thing that that elder does. An elder shows by example what a servant looks like. If the church needs to be painted, the elders need to come and help paint the church. I'll wait for an amen. If the toilets need to be cleaned at the church, who should be the first to clean the toilets? The elders should be. Well, preacher, we, we, need, to, we need to do that. Yeah, you do. But I need to show you how to do that. I need to show you how to do that. You with me? All right. Then, uh, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. I'm sorry, I, I jumped past myself here. So you get the idea. Don't, don't follow their own teaching. Make sure they're staying in the Word of God and make sure that they're taking you to the foot of the cross. Now let's go to our next verse, Acts 20 and verse 18. And the following day Paul went in, in with us to James and all the elders were present. Now who's this James? This James is the half-brother of Jesus, also called James the Just. And so when Paul got to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey, first day back he, met, he meets with the brethren in verse 17. And then the second day, he meets with James, Jesus' brother, half-brother, and then all the elders. Two things happen. He relates what God has been doing in his life. He relates what God has been doing in his life through this, this missionary journey that he's been on. The elders make a request of Paul in verses 20 through 25. And he complies to that in verse 26. And that passage shows us that these spiritual leaders were sensitive to the feelings and perceptions of their flock. Paul was, Paul was there and the request of Paul was for the purpose of preventing possible confrontations among those brethren who were there. The implication is that elders need to know their flock, know how they feel, how they think, what might cause stumbling blocks in their lives. Elders are to be sensitive to these feelings and perceptions and to take any appropriate action that is necessary to avoid, avoid harmful confrontation in the body of Christ. 
It's not about being right. It's not about having power. It's not about having authority. It is about knowledge, knowing people. How do I know you? I spend time with you. I ask you questions. I want to know about your journey. That seems like that's the question I ask more than I've asked ever in my life, is tell me about your journey. Because all of us have a unique journey. We do. But the great news and the, and the peace that threads through all of our journeys that pulls us together and binds us together is that we all went to the cross of Christ and found salvation. Now, once we've got the blood covering us for our sins, the rest of it just kind of falls into place. Now, the particular problem that they were dealing with in verses 20 and 21 were those Jewish converts to Christ who were then beginning to bind traditions and customs on those non-Jews that were coming to Christ. I've known preachers who will preach and tell you this is the way it has to be. And if you don't believe it this way, then you need to get out of this church and go find one that looks like you. What? I think the greatest part of Bible study is not having everybody in agreement. <laughs> we can all learn more. Well, I didn't learn it that way. Well, you don't have to say it that harshly, do you? So you didn't learn it that way. Maybe you were wrong. <laughs> Possible? Well, you're not teaching it right. How do you know I'm not teaching it right? Have you exegeted the passage? Have you taken it down? Do you know what the tense ending verses are in the Greek and the Hebrew? Do you know any of that stuff? Well, no, I don't know that. Well, see how the escalation of voice comes when you're in an argument? We don't need to argue about this. We need to love each other through it. If you don't agree with me on a particular passage of Scripture, let's go get some biscuits and gravy, man. I'm all for it. Because you know what? I don't have any problem admitting it if I, if I didn't get it. If I don't get it, let me know. I'm still a work in progress, just like you are. God's not finished with me yet. Is he with you? Have you already arrived? And if you have, I, I want to stay away from you. Because <laughs> I don't think you have. But you know, the good news is Jesus can help us arrive just like that. He can bring forgiveness and unshackle us just like that. Oh, so much more I could say. But let's go to Ephesians 4. We're running out of time. Ephesians 4, open your Bible there. We're going to pick it up at verse 11. We're going to see God's game plan now. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every, every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. How? How? Paul's writing from a prison cell in the city of Rome. It's in late 61 or early 62 AD. It's possible that this letter was in intended to be a circular letter, not just addressed to one particular congregation. Each member of the body of Christ has been given 
a measure of grace so as to enable them to serve in some particular capacity in the church. Everyone has a gift from God. You, you are a gift from God. How many of you would say that you are charismatic? Oh, this is going to, this is going to get you really excited. Now, I only have one hand go up. I've got my hand up. Here's why. Here's why. Do you know what? Each of us are charismatic. Then let me, let me break down the word for you. The, great, the Greek word, there's, there's two words that make up the one English word charismatic. It's the first word is charis, means grace. The second word is mata, means gifted. So that means that we are charismatic because we are grace gifted. Are you with me? So every one of us, now if I ask you again, how many of you are charismatic? Oh, look at the hands. Glory to God. Now, you, now when I said charismatic earlier, you thought, oh, man, he means throwing his hands up here. He means jumping over a chair. He means going, he needs to be ah, ah, going wild and crazy. I didn't say anything about that. You are a grace gifted Christ follower. Woo! Now we're talking. Okay. I need something done. You need something done. You don't have the expertise to do it. So what do you do? Well, you go to Home Depot and you go through a book and a study and you learn how to do that. Amen? Well, that's one option. What's another option? Tell me. I'm going to call somebody who knows how to do it. If I need a wall built, oh, it'd be ugly to see the kind of wall I'd build. But if I get hold of the right guy who knows how to build a wall, I'm going to have a pretty nice wall. Amen? Yeah. Now, I'm not a tile layer. Never claimed to be any kind of laborer like that. Have no skill at it. Have none whatsoever. But I know people that do. So what I need to do is make th let them come in and do it. And guess what? It turned out pretty good. Turns out pretty good. We remodeled a whole bathroom at our house. I thought Cindy was going to start on hers. She said, no, I want yours done first. So in other words, if there's any messes, it's in your place, not mine. Boy, it turned out great. The tile actually hangs on the wall. It didn't fall off. The grout all looks good. Everything worked out great. Why? Because I found somebody that knew how to do it. Gift. Grace gifted. Now see, here's the key. Not only do you have a gift, but then you have the grace of God that gifted you that way. Uh, we had an opportunity. We, out, we did an outreach event. <laughs> Not an event, but we did an outreach item into our community. Got a call from one of the school counselors and she said, Pastor, we've got a family whose child has a child going blind and they have some stair uh, rail issues on the outside of their house for this child to be able safely to get into the house and out of the house. I put it open to the other churches in Jinx and nobody responded. We did. I've got a picture of the, of the railing if you want to see it. We went and put that railing up. And we paid for it. You said, well, preacher, where'd you get that money? I don't know. God got it. You just keep giving and we're just going to keep using it to serve people. Okay. I don't know who this family is. Talk to them on the phone, that's it. 
And then we got involved, and we got somebody that knew how to put a handrail up to go put up handrail. You with me? Grace gifted. Now, the person that put up the handrail said this to me. I said, well, we got to go do that, and we got to do it with excellence, because if we don't do it with excellence, then we, we don't get the blessing that God's intended for us to get. Hello? Now we're talking, amen. Now we're talking. Why did these teenagers give up their Saturday, or their Friday, or Saturday, yeah, well, Saturday morning, to go and move Chris and Chrissy into an apartment? Why'd they do that? For the pizza? <laughs> there wasn't enough to go around for these guys. It wasn't just the pizza. It's because they love their youth minister. Yeah, Chris is shaking, but they love Chrissy. Nah, I'm teasing. Teasing you. Teasing. Poor old Chris is back there in traction this morning. I can't move, preacher. <laughs> so did a lot of a lot of carrying yesterday. Those of you that moved, you remember. That's why you don't want to move anymore. Amen. Grace gifted. We're all charismatic because we're grace gifted people. But I want you to look at this. Everybody, every member of the body of Christ has been given a measure of grace so that they, it, it will enable them to do some particular capacity in the church. Got lots of, you know, Romans, Romans uh, uh, 12, 1 Corinthians 12 uh, talks about these things. But I want you to look at these. They fall into four, these gifts that, that, that Ephesians talks about, that Paul talks about, falls into four or five categories. Number one, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Now you need to note that those last two are closely linked in the Greek text. It indicates, for many scholars, believe it indicates that Paul probably had just one group of individuals in mind rather than two. We've separated into two. But Paul probably had in mind, most scholars think this, that they were talking about teaching pastors. Teaching pastors. Teaching elders is what these guys were. But for the purpose of function of these men, these gifts to the church of God is seen in verses 12 and 13. Look at what they're supposed to do. First of all, they're to equip the saints for the work of service. But you can't equip saints that aren't there to be equipped. So you offer, you offer a class of equipping, and if you don't come, don't sit back and gripe and complain. Well, I don't know nothing. Well, nothing happened around. I'll tell you. I'd well, get yourself in there and get in the class. Amen? Well, you ain't offering nothing. Well, I want to start offering stuff. See what you can do with it. Secondly, they, along with those saints whom they have equipped, work to build up and edify the church of Christ. Thirdly, they work toward the attainment and maintainment both in themselves and others of three things, the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and spiritual maturity. You see it? That's what they're supposed to do. That's the game plan. God's provided through the spiritual leaders the opportunity for others to serve. And we ought to be about that business. We ought to be about that business. The Lord's church can no longer expect one or two or three people to do everything. Get off your carcass and get something done for God. And give him the glory, glory, glory. You might be sitting at home one afternoon, you got nothing to do, call me. We'll find a way for you to do something. Amen? We will. At a meeting of the American Psychological Association, Jack Lipton, a sociologist at Union College, and R. Scott Bullion, a graduate student at Columbia University, presented findings on how members of, a various, of the various sections of 11 major symphonies, uh, orchestras, perceived each other. The percussionists were viewed as insensitive, unintelligent, and hard of hearing, yet fun-loving. 
String players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. The orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary objective uh, or adjective to describe the brass players. Woodwind players seemed to be held in the highest esteem, described as quiet and meticulous, though a bit egotistical. Interesting findings, to say the least. And with such widely divergent personalities and perceptions, how could an orchestra ever come together to make such wonderful music? And the answer is simple. Regardless of how those musicians view each other, they subordinate their feelings and biases to the leadership of the conductor. And under his guidance, they play beautiful music. I may not see you the way that I should. You may not see me the way that you should. I may not understand why you say and do what you do or vice versa. You may look at that person and say, why do they have their hair covered that way? Why don't they have a, have a nicer pair of shoes? Why don't you see what I'm saying? Well, you know, they sure are loud. It seems like they're unfiltered. It seems like they're un, uncensored. They'll just say anything anytime they think about it. Well, that person never says anything. Why don't they talk? What's wrong with these people? Well, you know, I know, I know prayer time's going on, but I've got something to say to my friend back here in the corner, so I'm going to go ahead and tell them to it. I'm going to whisper it to them or say it out loud. I don't know. It's disruptive. Well, it doesn't matter. I've got to say it. You see what I'm saying? How can we be together as a body of Christ? We come under the leadership and authority of Almighty God. God established Jesus as the head of the church. And so we come under his authority. And so if the hand says to the foot, I don't need you, oh, you will. <laughs> if the mouth says to the hand, get out of my, get out of my way, really, you're going to starve to death. If the nose all of a sudden quits working, you're going to be eating garbage. If your ears go dull, you won't hear the train coming when you're crossing the tracks. If your eyes go black, you won't see the beauty that God's created around you. Or will you? You see what I'm saying? I, I saw a movie the other day and a guy went blind and, and his wife said to him but you're as handsome as ever and he says but I can't see your face anymore and she said I'll be your eyes I'll be your eyes and so she'll begin to describe to him what, what the world is around him so we're going to work together are we just going to all of us do our own thing and hope for the best let's come under the leadership of God and let's see what he does Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that we could look at leadership and see the importance of it. But God, all of our leadership is, means nothing if, if we're not under your leadership. So God, would you today do a mighty work in us? There's someone here today that needs to respond to you for whatever reason. May they do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn of invitation, let's stand and sing.